Thank you all so much for joining us today. If, uh, if uh, you're not part of our church family and you've logged on, we want to welcome you as well. My name is Paul, and I'm the lead pastor here at Aletheia Church. It's our desire to see every corner of our city and its surrounding communities affected by someone who knows and loves Jesus. And so um, I know that gathering like this today, church family, is not um, the most ideal Uh, I know this is not the thing that we long for, uh, but this is the medium that we have right now. And so I'm grateful for technology. I'm grateful to be with you, uh, even if we are not physically together. Um, And I'm thankful that we can gather like this. You You know, many of our brothers and sisters around the globe operate like this regularly when there's not a pandemic. And so we get to experience um, here for a season uh, what it means to be the church uh, in a place where we can't gather together uh, under normal circumstances. And so I hope that this allows us to be grateful uh, for the reality that we have, the freedom and the space to gather here regularly. I can't wait to be with you again. Uh, but for now, uh, this is what we've got. And so I want to dig into God's Word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8 again, the very same passage we were in last week. I'm going to try and finish this up. Uh, we'll begin reading in verse 18. Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. By the way, can I give a big shout out to Mary Hairston, uh, who's on our Aletheia Church Facebook account, posting song lyrics and, and uh, scripture and all that kind of stuff for you. Thank you so much, Mary. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go, even to the other side. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, or they were amazed, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? And when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now he heard heard of many pigs uh, were feeding some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep of the bank and, and, and into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled and Going into the city, they told everything, and especially what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for uh, the opportunity and the space to gather. And I know this, again, this isn't the most ideal place for us to gather, but we are in some unusual circumstances. And Father, my prayer for our church family, for everyone who is listening, for everyone who is watching Um, that your gospel would go forth with great power and it will provide life and comfort for all who are listening, all who are watching. 
I'm reminded regularly these days of the Apostle Paul who behind bars declared that the gospel is not bound by his imprisonment. And so the gospel is not bound here, Father, by the bars that we are behind. And so Holy Spirit, do a work, a profound work of grace. Comfort us, strengthen us, and encourage us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though we are not together. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Follow me, Jesus says. Leave your father, mother, or whoever or whatever it is that might be holding you back and, and, and go to the other side with me. This is the call of Jesus uh, on the disciples that day, the call to courageously step out of comfort and security uh, and familiarity and step out into the unknown, uh, the insecure, the uncharted territory for the sake of others and for the glory of Christ and for his kingdom. Um, this is the call of Jesus here in the context of Matthew chapter 8. Um, and this is the call of Jesus on our lives. What Jesus was doing that day, as we mentioned last week, was so important, so urgent, so immediate, that it was the only thing that mattered. Whatever else these two men or anyone else who wanted to follow was doing, this came first. You know, in this, unprecedented, in this unprecedented moment in which we currently exist, most of our thoughts, our energy, our focus is kind of narrowed in on the COVID-19 pandemic and all of its implications for us. Things are unsettled. Circumstances surrounding our lives have largely been turned upside down. And everything about our future, at least the immediate future, is kind of up in the air right now. We're not sure what the future holds. And I think that when things get like this, uh, and all the peripheral things tend to get cut off or shut off from our lives for a time, we tend to, to think about what's most important. Times like this, really, they offer us an opportunity to, um, to evaluate to reflect and to listen. And these are moments, I think, at least in my experience, when God has a way of speaking to us um, and making himself known that, that seems to be foreign in our otherwise busy and chaotic lives. In fact, if you read the Old Testament and you navigate through some of David's writings, particularly in the Psalms, it's his most powerful songs, his most powerful poems, his most powerful psalms that are, that are penned when he is living in caves and he is out on the run, when he's in a season of unsettledness, when things in his life have been completely turned upside down. Those are the moments when we get some of David's most profound thoughts. I wonder if many of us in this time uh, of unsettledness, when our focus seems to be narrowed in just a little. I wonder if this is a time for many of us when we can come to Jesus intentionally and be like these two men and, and ask what it's really like to follow him. Jesus, what is it really like to be your disciple and then to genuinely listen to what he has to say? What are you really asking of me, Jesus? What are you really asking of my life? 
It might be that right now we're in just the place to be able to hear what he has to say. And by the way, can I just say, this is vital to us because whatever it is that Jesus is doing, whatever it is that he's asking us to do, it's so urgent. It is so immediate. It is so vital that it is the one thing that matters. Whatever else that we are thinking about doing, this is the thing that comes first. And what this is... In a general sense, we see in this passage of Scripture. We talk about what this is. In a very literal sense, in this passage of Scripture, it is Jesus going to the other side of the sea and asking his disciples to go with him. In that very moment, going to the other side of the sea was what it looked like to follow Jesus for these disciples. Why was Jesus going to the other side of the sea? It seemed like when he got over there, he did a single thing. Like he did one thing when he got over there. He went over there, he performed his exorcism, and he came back home. He went over to do this exorcism in a community that was isolated or removed from the broader Jewish community. History tells us this. And if we read the text, we recognize that these people had herds of pigs, which meant that they weren't following the Jewish dietary laws, which meant that they weren't devout Jews. So they were removed or isolated from the broader Jewish community. And yet Jesus, a leader in the Jewish community, intentionally goes, gets in a boat and gets out onto the sea, a risky adventure in and of itself, and goes to the other side to perform this exorcism. Why was this little adventure so important? Why was it important that, that Jesus called these disciples to go with him? I think if we're evaluating this correctly, that it looks like Jesus was expanding his earlier work of engaging with those people who are outsiders. Those people on the margins or on the fringes of broader Jewish community. Earlier in chapter 8, a few weeks ago, we actually looked at a handful of miracles that Jesus performs. And all of those miracles that he happened to perform, he performed on people who lived on the margins, who were on the outside. People who were considered outsiders, people on the fringes of the broader Jewish society. They were isolated in some way or another. And so here, Jesus continues to interact with people outside of, of the normal Jewish community. And he continues to put himself into situations that are a bit taboo for his contemporaries. The interesting thing about that is, again, if we're evaluating this correctly, is that what we see Jesus doing, and we mentioned this a couple weeks ago as well, is he is simply beginning to live out or fulfill the vocation of Israel to be a blessing or to be a light to the nations. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, and if you want to turn all the way back there with me, Genesis chapter 12, God comes to this man named Abraham. His name was Abram at this point. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So there was a call to Abram to, to leave, to go somewhere. To follow God. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
So the key there is that Abraham would be blessed, his family, this nation that would be born from him would be blessed so that they would be a blessing to all the families or all the nations of the earth. Israel had largely failed at this vocation. And so here is Jesus fulfilling that as he reaches out to the outsiders. Even though the specific call that day in Matthew chapter 8 was to simply go to the other side of the sea, there's a deeper sense at which this call was, was an invitation or a challenge to abandon all other loves and wholeheartedly follow Jesus. Think of it like a marriage proposal. When a, when a guy proposes to a woman or to a girl, he says to her, will you marry me? He's certainly looking for some sort of formal public commitment, whether it be some sort of civil ceremony, religious one, how big or how small that may be doesn't really matter, but he's looking for more than that. He's looking for a whole life of commitment, and he's offering himself to her as well. This is kind of what's going on. Let's take a look at the plot line of this really quickly. As we mentioned last week, the object, the object of this passage of Scripture is emphatically Jesus himself. It is not the two disciples. It is not the boat full of disciples. It is not the storm. It is not the two demon-possessed men. It is not the, the community who was a little angry with Jesus for what he did. It, the object here is Jesus himself. He is the one who says, follow me. He is the one who... Again, ironically enough, after having said that he has nowhere to lay his head, finds a place to rest his head on this boat. Who upon waking says, why are you afraid? He is the one who calms the storm and gets his disciples safely to the other side. He is the one who, is, upon arriving to the other side, destroys this evil that had ravaged an entire community. It is Jesus who brings order to the chaos and this is true of our lives as well. The disciples do not yet know it, but this series of events all through Matthew chapter 8, they serve as signposts to the resurrection where in Christ all things are being made new and God in Christ is bringing order to the chaos. Church family, I can promise you that no matter how the COVID-19 pandemic all shakes out, that order will absolutely be restored. I don't think anyone can predict with absolute certainty um, how many people will get sick or how many people will die or what all of the ramifications will be from the pandemic. But one thing is absolutely certain. As disciples of Jesus, our hope does not rest in blind optimism about these outcomes, nor does our hope and security rest in whatever sense of control we think we might or might not have in the current moment. Our hope and security rests in the one who in this passage is bringing order to all the chaos in the world. It rests in the one who will ultimately bring us safely to the other side, who will put evil to rest once for all, and who will bring us back home. 
So that unsettledness that you might have in your gut right now, that fear and that anxiety that might be rising up inside, that longing for things to get back to normal, rather than those things serving uh, to create a fog of depression and fear in our lives, allow them to alert you to the reality that there is something much greater that exists, something more beautiful, something more satisfying, something more right. It's kind of like when we, are, we feel physically hungry. That hunger doesn't exist for no reason. It exists because there's something out there that can satisfy it. For example, when we're hungry, that hunger alerts us to the reality of food. Just like when we're thirsty, that thirst alerts us to the reality of water. And so this longing for things to get back to normal, this fear and anxiety, this unsettledness that we all fear, all of these things simply alert us to the reality that there is something much better out there. Okay, so what does all of that have to do with Matthew chapter 8? Well, again, the literal meaning of this passage is that the world has been in a chaotic state since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve first ate the fruit. And Jesus is the one bringing order to this chaos. What that means for us is that for, for those of us who follow, and as we follow, we can live as people with great hope in the most unsettled times. We know that the journey out onto the open sea where storms rise out, out of nowhere, that journey has a purpose and that journey has an end. So number one, I want to look at really quickly, getting into the boat to follow Jesus to the other side is certainly a risky proposition, but it's a decision that every disciple of Jesus must make. Some of these disciples, being seasoned fishermen, knew exactly what they were getting into here that day. They knew that when they got into the boat and went over to the other side, that there was a potential for danger, that a storm could easily blow up. Yet they followed Jesus into the boat anyway. They trusted him in this moment. And wouldn't you know it, they get out there and a fierce storm blows up out of nowhere seemingly. It was so bad. The scripture tells us that the boat was almost overtaken. And, and that trust they initially had was now turned to fear. Notice verse 25 in our passage. We'll begin in verse 24. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went to him and woke him, saying, Lord, we are perishing. They were afraid. By the way, we need to talk about fear for just a moment here. Being a disciple of Jesus and being afraid are not mutually exclusive. In fact, in times of distress, out on the boat with Jesus... It's okay to be afraid. It's okay if we experience a moment of fear. That may actually be part of the process for us. In moments like these, when fear rises up because of uncontrolled circumstances and situations, this can serve to actually strengthen our faith. Notice what Peter says to the church over in 1 Peter chapter 1. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'll read a couple verses here. Peter writes to the church, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. It is in the reality that we have security, in the reality that we have a future, in the reality that Christ is our King and that He has resurrected from the dead and will resurrect us from the dead. That is where our hope rests. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, when the storms rise up, if necessary, you have been grieved or you are suffering by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These storms that blow up serve to test or to strengthen our faith so that it can be found to glorify our King. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These storms, they have a purpose, church family. And we are going somewhere with this. However, notice what fear does. Read verse 25 again. And they went to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. They were fearful for their lives. Jesus had already said to them all the way back in like verse 18, he says, follow me. Come on, let's go to the other side. Jesus had a plan. Jesus had a purpose. And he had called his disciples to be part of that plan and to help accomplish that purpose. And by the way, don't you think that Jesus knew as much or more about what would happen out on that sea as the disciples did? But fear had clouded their mind. It had clouded their vision. They could no longer see the plan and purpose of Jesus. When Jesus says, let's go to the other side, I think he fully intends to go to the other side of the sea. Even if the waves overtake the boat, and even if the boat were to sink, somehow Jesus is going to go to the other side because this is exactly what Jesus in his providence had intended to do. They hadn't learned this yet about Jesus, that they are safe with him in the boat. And here's the key. They were afraid because they weren't quite certain what was going to happen. There was a great deal of insecurity in their hearts. They hadn't been following quite long enough for their faith to have fully developed to a place where they could operate in this situation without fear. But this was an important moment for the disciples. And church family, these types of moments are important moments for us. Their faith would be strengthened here this day. And it is in moments like this when our faith is strengthened. And they needed it because there was a much more severe storm out on the horizon. And it would blow. And the winds would come. And the thunder would sound. And it would be when Jesus makes his way to the cross. 
And that storm would be much more severe for them than this one. They were being prepared. Following Jesus does not guarantee that we will never experience a storm, that we will never experience suffering or or pain or, in this case, fear ever again. In fact, it it may guarantee it. But when we do experience those things, we we have to come to terms with the reality that we follow Jesus out into it. And he has a plan and a purpose in mind. We are headed somewhere, church family. Our destination is already secure. We already know what the end is. And more than that, Jesus is in the boat. Now, he's asleep, but he's in the boat. And by the way, Jesus is not asleep because he doesn't care. He's asleep because he's ordered the arrival of the boat to the other side. I think what the disciples may have been learning here is that Jesus himself is the destination, not the other side of the sea necessarily. There's no amount of wind, no amount of rain, no amount of lightning, no amount of waves, whatever, that will stop them from arriving to the other side of the sea so that they can do exactly what Jesus had set them to do. When we faithfully walk with Jesus, there is no storm regardless of how severe, no wind too strong, no amount of rain that is too much. Nothing will ever keep us from fulfilling our ultimate destiny in Christ. Because in Christ, our destiny has already been realized. Paul tells us that we have already been resurrected with Christ. We will get to the other side, wherever that is. The safest place for any of us to be is in the boat with Jesus. Let us follow him. And let us lay aside everything that keeps us from doing that. Better is it that we let go of our perceived security and head over to the other side in the boat with Jesus than to stay back safely where what we've always known is a source of comfort for us. Out there is where we see the power of God. Out there, following Jesus is where our faith is strengthened. Jim Simbala said it best in his book, Fresh Wind and Fresh Fire. He said, I despaired at the thought that my life might pass by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. This is what getting in the boat is all about. Recognizing that God showing himself mightily on our behalf is the most important thing. We can spend our entire lives in complete control, in the safety of what is familiar, embracing the things we love most and completely miss what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's only when we open ourselves up to all the possibilities of what Jesus might be leading us to do that we can faithfully follow him. And in that following, we find all along the way opportunities to experience the astounding power of God in times of distress. Jesus rises from his sleep. He immediately calms the storm. Look at verse 26. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. There's something profound going on here. Jesus is asleep. 
Remember, he's the one who has no place to lay his head. In other words, he has no place to call home on this earth. And yet here we find him asleep on the boat. We can't miss this. Even though Jesus has no place to call home on this earth, there is a sense in which he is completely at home everywhere in this earth, even in places where chaos exists. And more than that, he is in full control. There's not a single moment out on the ocean or out on the sea there in that boat in which Jesus is not in complete and absolute control. And again, he knew exactly where he was going and what he was doing. The disciples' lack of trust here seems to have irritated Jesus a little bit when he responds to them. Notice how he initially wakes up. He said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Jesus kind of rebukes them for their lack of faith, but he doesn't cast them away. He doesn't say to them, hey, why don't you go over there and stir up your faith a little bit and come back when you have more? Come back when it's stronger, and then I'll help you. No, Jesus takes us as we come. And if we come with hardly any faith at all, he's not going to pretend that he's flattered, but he does go immediately to work on our behalf. What matters, as one writer says in the final analysis, is that Jesus helps us however we come to him. Even little faith is faith still. But faith, the way Jesus wants us to relate to him, important as it is, is not the theme of this story. It is Jesus' salvation, even to the weak in faith disciples. Jesus is our Savior. In the end, the disciples get the gift of being amazed. And the men marveled. They were amazed, saying, what sort of man is this? You know, it's a rare gift in our technologically advanced world to be amazed by something. But when we forsake all and we follow Jesus, we position ourselves to be right there with him as he rises and speaks to the chaos. When was the last time we were amazed at the profound work and power of Jesus in our lives? Number three, everything always goes as planned when we're with Jesus. Can I say that again, church family? Everything always goes as planned when we are with Jesus. Sometimes I think we look back and chuckle at just how much we worried about something. I know that's true in my life. I suspect that we might be doing that a whole lot in the resurrection, looking back over life and chuckling at how much we worried about things. Jesus and his disciples make it to the other side where Jesus performs this exorcism. I don't have time to break all of this down today. Uh, These two demon-possessed men had ravaged this community. Uh, They were an agent of chaos and fear, and Jesus put that chaos and fear to rest by, by casting these demons out and getting rid of them. Again, we don't have time to break it all down. There's all sorts of lessons, not least of which, by the way, is the fact that when Jesus brings order the entire community gets mad and they want him to leave. They couldn't see the freedom that Jesus brought because they were completely consumed with the money they had lost. I could preach an entire sermon on that, but let it suffice to say, church family, that Jesus is bringing an end to the chaos. 
and the evil in this world. We might not realize it in its full reality today or tomorrow, but it is coming. And he's doing it not by removing from it, but by fully entering into it. This is the story Matthew is telling us. And he will fully enter into it ultimately on the cross where the real storm awaits. And as he fully enters in, he will absorb all of the chaos and all of the evil that this world has to offer. And he does it for us so that we can follow him with great courage. Church family, not only will we arrive safely to the other side and fulfill our destiny in Christ, I want you to notice what else will happen. Chapter 9, verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. We will arrive safely 